What's going on, everybody? And welcome to another episode of the State of the Nova Nation podcast from VU Hoops. I'm Emma Houghton. He's Pat Zhang. And we are coming at you a post-game recap of the Villanova versus Penn game on Wednesday night. Pat, pretty pretty dominant showing as in Penn never got too, too close within striking distance. Villanova improves to 5-2 and two on the season after a 71-56 to 56 win. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm sure we all had a great time listening to the Penn broadcast. I mean, the ESPN broadcast uh, <laughs> for that game tonight. Um, wasn't the prettiest game. Again, it is Big Five basketball, so what more could you expect? A pretty game is not allowed to happen in yep. the Big Five. Uh, but when it's all said and done, Villanova comes away with the win, second straight win. Um, to yeah. See if they get in a little bit of rhythm. I feel the same way. Uh, all the starters finish the game. And, and I feel like for these games, that's how I judge how close of a game it was. Mm-hmm. And this one, I'm sure Jay Wright's walking away thinking it was far too close for comfort. Yep. Yep. No, it, it definitely was. Villanova wasn't it. How I would phrase this game is that Penn hung around the whole time. Yeah. I don't think Villanova ever felt like they were in real danger of yep. ever actually dropping the game. Just Penn wasn't able to, to really mount anything and, and Colin Gillespie was great. This was this was the Colin Gillespie game. I think a lot of people have been waiting for so far this season. Your biggest preseason player of the year, your first team All American. This was the game, and you know what? Villanova really needed it tonight because a lot of guys really did not perform. Yeah, that's actually a really good way to put it. Colin put on a show. Penn put together some runs. I don't think it they was a, a horrible showing from Penn after the Lasalle game. I was just thinking their their decision making was so poor. Lasalle's their their shot selection was mm-hmm. so poor. I didn't feel like Penn embarrassed themselves in no. any way. They kept it close against the sixth best team in the country, which I think is a pretty decent accomplishment. It is. And if we're looking at, at positives for it, I do want to go to Villanova's defense and you may think, yep. well, it wasn't, you know, the, you know, Penn was able to score from times, especially from deep, but Villanova was phenomenal on the interior. I mean, they Penn made six, two point field goals in that game. They, the Quakers went into this game, completely you know trying to beat Villanova at their own game from deep which they did outshoot Villanova from three at 38 percent compared to Villanova's 32 percent clip but they were not able to get into the lane at all and you know what I will take that as a positive for a team that I feel like is continually improving on defense yeah that's a good point we talked about that on Tuesday too Penn was bigger than I thought Mm -hmm. I I thought they were going to be much smaller I guess I didn't look too closely at the numbers but they had definitely had some big guys, they may not have been the most athletic guys, yes. as I know you have a, a strong opinion about. <laughs> but you're right. Villanova's defense did a very good job of preventing their big guys from bullying them in the post. And then on the flip side, I thought Villanova had a good amount of post action on the mm-hmm. offense of them. So it, it was a good mix. And we have a couple of thoughts continuing the discussion we had from Tuesday about some of the de- some of the defensive sets we can get, get into. But really yeah. quick. Because it is Thursday, we do have a new review to go through, and we are at 49. Oh, we're, we're a so month close. into Come recording. On. Just one if more. we could get to 50, we would absolutely love that. We've got some awesome games coming up. We would love to see some support there. But this one was left for us last week from Judy in Massachusetts. She said, I love the excitement and knowledge Pat and, not- Pat and Emma bring to this podcast. The two recent Nova grads are able to be objective while being passionate about VU basketball. And passionate we are. Hmm. So thank you for that review. And yeah, this is such a good time of the season. Again, we'll, we'll preface it because Pat and I feel the same way too. This week is a little slow. 
Bit. There definitely aren't any huge talking points that we have, but we've got some some pretty incredible action coming up that we're both extremely excited about. Yeah, exactly. So, of course, with the big five games this week and then next week, things really start to pick up as Syracuse at the Garden, Baylor, of course, over the weekend, and then it moves into conference play. So yeah. things will start to pick up. It's really good for Villanova, again, to just try to get in a little bit of a rhythm. I actually really like that they're playing three games in the span of a week because mm-hmm. just trying to get those legs more under you rather than these big layoffs we've seen a couple times here so far this season. So listen, it's all good. It's minutes under these guys' legs. They're still trying to really figure out that identity and they'll keep progressing. Yeah. That's actually a really good point about the three games, because I don't know if Villanova has that for the rest of the season. I haven't looked that closely, but it felt like in years past, it's never been too scrunched up. There always is more time as opposed to less time in my recent memory, at least. Yeah, I I know once conference play pops up, they can start to play every That's, couple of days. Yeah, uh, yeah, but three games in a week, I don't think you're going to see too often. Just as I I pop up, you see it a little bit in January. Um, so and listen, it, it's good to get those legs battle tested to be able to go out there multiple times, especially with the shorter rotation. Though we did see a lot of guys get you know decent minutes out there against Penn. Yeah, I was going to say about the the minutes too. It is unfortunate that the flu happened this week because. Mm-hmm. I know everybody agreed with us, agreed with us about the, the whole rotation debate too, that these would be the games where we would get to see a lot of Longino and a lot of Nana and Joku. And Longino wasn't even on the bench. So sure. they must and Njoku they played must, a minute in two games. Exactly. So they must really be struggling with their flu-like symptoms. On the flip side, we've been able to see Demir Cosby Roundtree, but it is unfortunate that they couldn't use these games to get some minutes under them because I really do think once conference play starts it's going to turn back into that man's game. And I know that opens a whole can of worms. That isn't the discussion we're going to have tonight about the Mm -hmm. rotation and whether we need the freshmen, but bottom line, it would have been really great to see 15 minutes from Joku and Longino in these games, but Trey Patterson did get that. And I think that'll be big for his development. Yeah, it was good. I don't think Patterson made too much of an impact out there, but he also wasn't a mess, you know, when he was out on defense. And I I think that is a positive that you take from it. Demir Cosby Roundtree, I still think it's just incredible that he's out there on Mm -hmm. the floor. Now two games that we've seen him out there. This was not the game for Demir because as we talked about, it was entirely played upon the perimeter and Jordan Dingle really took him to town with a couple threes we saw there in the second half. So this wasn't the game for Demir to really stamp himself in. Uh, But any minutes for him out there is a solid thing. Yeah. And he missed his one field goal attempt, but he went really strong to the hoop with that hook. He did. Remember that, that, that attempt was pretty strong and it was, it was a little too strong and that's why I missed it. But I felt like he bodied his defender and it was a very strong physical showing. And I liked that. It, it Like I said, it, it's all about just getting minutes under him and testing the yeah. body and see how it holds up. Cause now think about it. First, it was the first game he played in, in basically two seasons and now it's two games in a couple of days yeah. for a body that hasn't played a lot. So it's really key time for Demir. I'm still not sure if he's going to actually factor into this rotation. Once the guys come back from the flu, you know, we don't really know what Jay's plan is, which is exactly how Jay likes it. So I guess exactly. we'll continue to find out as the games progress. Man, I would be so curious to know how he's feeling after these games. If he's just completely gassed and his legs are physically hurting, or if he's just so eager to get out there, I'm sure adrenaline kicks in at some point. And it was never more than eight or nine minutes, really. But I'd be so curious to see how his body's holding up because 
like we said on Tuesday, that's what the ticket is going to be, how his body can take him. Because of course, they're not going to risk the future or anything like that. His, his safety and his health is still the top priority. Certainly is. Yeah. All right. So that is a little bit on the bench. Should we talk about Colin first? I feel yeah, like he go probably for it. deserves it. I'd say so. 26 points. That is a season high four for eight from three. That's his best three point shooting performance in a long time as well. You said it best. This was the Colin Gillespie that I hope the rest of the country saw because while in the UCLA game and in the Tennessee game and all of Villanova's other quality wins, he does the unquantifiable things. Sure. He'll always have between 12 and 16 or 18 points and a couple of assists and his field goal percentage is always good. But what Colin Gillespie does best is the cohesion. He keeps this team together. He runs the point better than probably anybody in the country. This is one of those games where he gets to show off a little bit. He gets to show how he can just put catch and shoot. He can drive all the way to the basket. He can dribble and kick out all these things that we talk about all the time, all the the real Villanova fans know how good Colin Gillespie is. And it was nice to see him fill up the stat sheet for the, for really the first time this season. Yeah. I, I think Colin looked great as we've seen this year, he's up to 43% from deep, which is a career high from him right yep. now. So he he's really turned into a, a very dangerous uh, shooter from beyond the arc, which has continued to really impress his ability to create shots off the dribble too. you know, the, the pump fake into movement threes. I know he, she shot a fadeaway three today as well. It really is very impressive. We know all about the off ball movement as well. And what he did so well in this game, it's what Villanova truly has done really well all season is getting into the lane, getting that back down and kicking out for threes. And mm-hmm. he, he again did it. He took advantage of a size advantage and athleticism advantage against the pen guards. And it's part of what really helped propel Nova to find any sort of secondary scoring, mostly from Caleb and and Brandon for this game. But whenever they needed a shot, they went to Colin Gillespie. He was able to get it mostly from three, but of course he was able to, you know, some of the moves to be able to get into the lane was really impressive. I know a couple episodes ago, we had discussed that he wasn't really in there. Well, he's certainly ingrained in there right now. And as we said, this was the performance that I think people have been waiting for a little bit. And Colin was great. Yeah, he had to have listened when we were talking about that's gotta that. be it. Now right? he's just proven us wrong. It's gotta be right. Yeah. He looked he looked really, really good. He looked completely fearless of the knee, very, very smooth, very athletic, almost a la Trey Young. I wonder how Eugene's gonna think about that. Oh, don't but, say uh, that. <laughs> I am definitely going to get a lot of flack for that. You know what's interesting though? And I wonder what you think about this. I truly feel like all of Villanova's wins so far have been true team efforts Mm -hmm. besides this game, besides maybe a couple of Slater games. And that one's maybe even less of a one man show as, Oh my gosh, look at Brandon Slater's emergence, but a 26 point performance where he's heads and shoulders above everybody else. Like Gillespie was in this game. There haven't been too many games like that. The shooting has been, pretty evenly distributed across all five starters and almost all of Villanova's games this year. So it was interesting to have a game like this, where it was so uneven, where Moore and Samuels and even Dixon on offense were so off 
and Colin had the opportunity to shoulder everybody else's weight. That hasn't happened too often this season. Yeah, I think it's a fair assessment. There have been some really good games we've seen so far. Justin Moore, of course, had a big scoring game. You talked about Slater's had a couple here. I think it's more of an indictment that the offense just, they scored 71 points, but it really wasn't in rhythm. And the number I can point to for that is they had seven assists, which is very low, you know, for a Villanova squad. Weirdest number is Colin Gillespie on his 26 points, zero assists on the night. It's it's just, it was an odd night. That's the way to put it. As I said, it was a big East, big East, excuse me, big five. So things can get a little ugly. Uh, and so they, as we talked about before, they needed Gillespie to, to step up here and kind of propel it because yes, it usually is a team performance. Um, but tonight they needed someone to really, you know, take the game by the scruff and, and decide, be a game decider for them. That's what it was. Yeah. And it's funny because I didn't even necessarily think of that in a negative way as you did. I just, I was just making the observation that not many teams in the country have five above average scores. Maybe, maybe Eric Dixon isn't above average yeah, on the offensive end, but the other four guys, I would say if, if they're on, they are above average scorers. Mm-hmm. And this was the really the first time where we've seen any sort of struggles. So that's, that's a good showing of balance in my opinion. Oh, it certainly is. And what it shows you, too, is that when guys have off nights, which Jermaine Samuels really wasn't a part of the offense at all tonight, and, and Justin yeah. Moore was very poor shooting, they were still able to pick each other up with Gillespie having the great night, Slater yeah. having a very good one, and Caleb Daniels produced 12 points off the bench again, which is really, really important for this squad. How many how many games in a row do we have of Caleb dub, double digits? Is it four now? I believe it's four. Yeah. I believe. That's top of head, so I can't confirm. But I No, me four. too, but I, I think that sounds right, and – it's just continued improved shooting. The shot selection has gotten so much better. He's able to drive a little better. I thought he played good defense against Penn, against some of those bigger guys. Again, they didn't have any sort of inside presence on offense. Penn did, but Caleb continues to impress. I I really do think that as his minutes go up, that production comes along with it. Mm -hmm. No, it's been better. It wasn't his most efficient game of the season so far, but it's still an improvement over what we saw. He's still adding a little bit of punch, um, you know, off the bench. Uh, he wasn't, again, with turnovers, he only had one, which is usually the key with Caleb. So things are getting better. So, uh, again, as we look at how this team is progressing from where it started to where it is right now, I think there are a lot of positives, and you've seen some growth already. Agree. Only 11 for 17 from the free throw line. Yeah, it's not it's not, not ideal. Not great. Not no. great. Nobody had more than four attempts, though. And then the last thing before we talk about rebounding in particular, Chris Arch had a had a ton of minutes, and we're recording literally right after the game ended. So when I am looking at the box score, I'm not seeing the minutes. Are they up for you? No, not yet. Yeah, so I don't have the exact number, but it seemed to me like Arch played the most in this game as he had all season long. I have a feeling that was the case because – Penn did not have the ability to use the quickness on the perimeter to get into the inside, which has been Archie Diakono's biggest Achilles heel that we've seen. Penn just, A, wasn't interested in going inside, and B, I don't really think had the athleticism to be able to try and exploit that. Yeah, well said. I like that a lot. And that's the perfect opportunity to get some minutes under him. Got to gotta, get, get his legs under him. Got to so play matchups. Might as well take advantage well. of it. Yeah, yeah. All right. Um, as everybody saw coming, Justin Moore was the leading rebounder on Wednesday night with 11 rebounds, just like everybody expected. And Jermaine Samuels had eight. Eric Dixon had eight. 
Yeah, I get, listen, it, <laughs> this Villanova team rebounding has been so bizarre because <laughs> there have been some games where they have been brutally out-rebounded, and there are some games like tonight where they have completely out-rebounded the other team. And again, I think you saw a lot of that advantage on the offensive glass where Eric Dixon ripped down six yeah. offensive rebounds. It really is impressive how he's able to get himself involved there. He is getting better and better at the tip outs as well, which I think is so underrated and so key to be able to keep possessions together. I mean, if you're just looking for a Villanova basketball possession, my mind immediately goes to Penn defensive rebound. Justin Moore rips the ball out of their hands, kicks out to Colin Gillespie, who hits the three. Yeah. And so you are seeing that this team is able to execute and pull off plays that, you know, we've seen in the past of just really high effort and then being able to come up and make that three when they need it. And that's the type of Villanova basketball possession that you would think of for the past, however many years, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, that seems like it's always how it is. And another thing that goes along with this, well, I cannot imagine another team having the type of energy over 50, 50 balls in the entire country. What they can do when they have a bad possession on defense and then the one that I'm thinking of more sprints down the court. He goes baseline to baseline, completely catches the guy behind him, pokes the ball out, and then it either goes out of bound and they have to reset. Or I think it was either Slater or Dixon was able to stay on the baseline and pick up the loose ball. It's remarkable to watch how these guys work. And it was a full-on clinic against Tennessee. This team is so good at forcing turnovers. And then they channel that energy, they go after those loose balls at such a wild rate. Really, it's wild Mm -hmm. to watch how they are able to turn it on. And then their transition offense is so good, like we've been watching for years. And that's when you just see uh, Colin, Justin, even Brandon Slater at this point, sink a three from the corner. Yeah, it's it really is impressive. Force another 10 turnovers here tonight. it, it was good. I don't think it was great. As we said on offense, I, I didn't think things felt totally in sync, but they didn't need to be when Colin scores 26. Yeah. And nine turnovers. It was better than the output against LaSalle. I'm ready for them to have another sub seven. Turnover yeah. It night. was still over their season average. It wasn't yeah. great. There was uh, especially, you know, Eric Dixon struggled a little bit with his passing from the low post. There were, it wasn't as bad as we saw in the LaSalle game where there were just some brutal mental errors that led yeah, to turnovers, passes, but yeah. yeah, we still saw a couple of them out there. I wonder if that changes as Villanova comes back home and plays at the pavilion on Saturday behind a, a home crowd. Uh, and I wouldn't exactly call it a raucous crowd. It sounded like um, at the palestra on Wednesday night. So just something to look at and see if things change uh, as the environment changes. Yeah, that's a good point. You don't think the palestra is filled with drunk students and it can be and the palestra people, <laughs> the palestra can be it. Listen, it is a, one of the best places to see a game in college basketball, but I don't think from the broadcast perspective for what I could hear, it didn't exactly sound like uh, things were going crazy during no, it. I completely agree on Penn's end. I think Jordan Dingle pretty much lived up to the hype. I mean, he is a volume shooter to volume say the least volume shooter, <laughs> volume shooter. Uh, March was pretty good. Uh, yeah. I, I think they lack a secondary scorer behind Dingle. But again, they kept this game close. And I think they walk away with that relatively happy, especially because Penn didn't have a season last year. These guys are literally less than 10 games into the season, still figuring out how they all mesh together. Yeah, we had talked about it on Tuesday's episode saying, Jordan Dingle did not play against Arkansas. We're not sure where Penn is going to be. Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. Yep, 
So we're, we weren't sure where Penn was going to be able to muster up offense if Dingle was going to be out again. Well, he was certainly not out and ended up accounting for 21 of their points. The one switch I would have really liked to have seen Villanova try to break out earlier in this game, and we saw it a little bit later on when, when Penn was starting to go on a run, is putting Brandon Slater on Dingle mm-hmm. because it became very clear that he was the only one that was going to be able to really be able to make shots when Penn needed it. They, they made the switch late. I'd like to see a little bit more just quicker to react there and in, in shutting that down, knowing that Penn just really didn't have the scoring from anyone else to be able to keep up. Yeah, this is Villanova's defense and their defensive game plans have been much more spread out against opponents that can put up more than 60 points. Like mm-hmm. UCLA has so many weapons. Purdue had so many weapons. Even Howard had so many weapons. You lock down Dingle. I think Penn would struggle to put up 40 points. And that was pretty evident because Dingle had 21 points. So <laughs> I, I completely agree with you. That would have been a nice matchup to watch. Yeah. And Villanova is so reliant on the, the switch too that, yep. you know, of course it's not like Slater's going to follow him around. Like it's a man coverage in the NFL by any means, but I, I just, I would just the ability to put that out there to try and shut down a, a sky that, you know, the ball is going to, it, it's just something to look at again, as the season progresses. So that is a perfect segue to St. Joe's. If you had nothing else to say about this game. No, it's, it's pretty much it's, it's all, listen, no games in a vacuum. You know, they all build on top of each other. I I think you're seeing Villanova progress. Was it beautiful basketball? No, (laughs) Um, but they got the job done. We saw Colin Gillespie back to his best. Yeah. I actually do have one more point. I'm sorry. I was going to, I was going to transition to St. Joe's, but I forgot I had some numbers up. I think something to watch is the three-point percentage Mm -hmm. because it has not been excellent over the last three games, and that's actually a generous way to put it. So it was 32% from three against Penn, 35.5% against LaSalle, and 38% against Purdue. Sure. My thinking is they're still able to put up 71, 72, and 74 apiece in those three games, which means – even when the three isn't falling the way they'd like it to, they find other ways to score, which I think is definitely a win. I think Villanova is a much more dangerous team when they're able to create offense from the paint. But that being said, this team's bread and butter is it's shooting, and it's definitely not been at its peak shooting over the past couple of games. And the defense hasn't been anything to write home again about in these big five games. So I think it's a little bit of a concern. Am I completely panicked about it? No, Colin Gillespie just had 26 points, but I think it's, it's something to watch as we get into Syracuse and Baylor and the conference and so on. Yeah. I'm not as concerned with it just because looking at the offensive output we've seen in games so far this year. So let's, let's count out the Howard game, even where they scored hundred, you know, 71, 74, 72, 71. It, they're yep. still scoring, even though the shooting is not great. And then I do believe the defense has been progressively getting better. So I, I I think things are moving in the right direction, but I absolutely see your point. I do feel the same way about the defense. I think Villanova's defense has shown market improvement in at least one half of each game. Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> in, in the second half against LaSalle, that was definitely what we are forgetting yes. about. That was I'm, a very forgettable I'm trying to erase that from my memory. <laughs> um, but I have one very quick thing, and I usually don't like to go back, but I have to for this. Okay. Um, Cause it just goes back to Tuesday's episode. 
Brandon Slater, keep shooting that basketball, my friend. Oh, yeah. Keep you were right. Because he did it again. So efficient. Seven of eight, 16 points. Just had to say it. Shoot the ball, Brandon, because it is so impressive to watch right now. One of the most improved players in all of the country. I was just I, I was hoping you would say in all of the country because it has been. He doesn't turn the ball over. He only had one today. I, you said a stat about that on Tuesday, too. About So now it's, what, three in the last three? I don't have it up in front of me. I think it was yeah. Caleb that I was talking about with the turn. Oh, okay. Um, but it's, it is three in the last three though. You still nailed it. Look at that as I pull oh, wow. it up. So nicely done on your part. But, Thank you. Yes, he, it's had, just got, to do it. he's so strong with the ball. He's so efficient and he takes such good shots. That mm-hmm. seems to be a recurring compliment that I'm giving to people. And I think that's a very good thing. Yeah. I'll get off my soapbox now, but had to be said. <laughs> no, you're, you were right. You, that was the perfect thing to wish for it's a guy who is confident and knows that when he shoots it's going to be an efficient manner he's not going to just throw shots up he is in no way a volume shooter mm-hmm. but he can be a solid secondary or tertiary scorer and he's now proved that in every single game this season santa came early let's hope santa yep. keeps coming oh pat yeah keep keep giving us good wishes please give us a good aura yeah <laughs> okay so now let's get back to that segue we had talked about for St. Joe's, it pretty much revolves around one guy, and you mm-hmm. may you might remember him if you've been yep. watching St. Joe's for the past couple of years. It's Taylor Funk. He's averaging just under 32 minutes a game, just over 19 points, six and a half rebounds, and assist. He turns the ball over a decent amount, but this guy can shoot 54% from three, 56% from the floor. Their offense runs through him, and we are going to see him put up a ton of shots on Saturday. Uh, 100%. So looking at St. Joe's here, they are four and three because they did come away with a win over Binghamton tonight, leading into uh, the Villanova game, of course. Um, best win of the season so far. Uh, I had to spotlight this. I couldn't wait for it. Uh, they did beat Georgetown, as we referred to uh, in the, the Friday after Thanksgiving. Uh, it hasn't been great performances. They also have a win over Mount St. Mary. They played USC and it didn't look very good. there. also have losses to Drexel and Monmouth uh, on the schedule. So this is not a great St. Joe's team by any means. Of course, it's always fun when the Holy War comes to town and they get mm-hmm. to play in that. Of course, another one of Jay Wright's old friends as well in Billy Lang. So a lot of different connections here. You absolutely spotlighted, you know, who to watch for St. Joe's with Funk. Jordan Hall as well is a really good player. He's another volume type shooter where he's going to put up a ton of shots as well. But most of St. Joe's offense runs through them. One more player I want, I do want to point out, I'm going to get the name wrong, but Ajike Obina came over from Vanderbilt as a transfer. You know, a a 6'10 guy has been really strong for them so far this season. St. Joe's is actually the 11th tallest team in the country, fun fact. So look out for that on Saturday. That's the point I was going to bring up. They've got some size. They have got some size. So it's funny to watch. I've only watched them play a little bit so far. That offense runs through funk. He's pretty much, oh, that's, they've got a couple guys over 10 points, but really it's him or nothing. But I definitely think they're going to attack the paint more than Penn did. And that might not be too much of a threshold because Hmm. like you said, Penn had no interest in going to the paint, but I'm curious to see, and I'm excited to see how Eric Dixon will match up against the, the Obinas and even like they've got a a seven foot Charles Coleman. I don't know how many minutes he's gotten this, this year, but that's definitely somebody they're going to develop. Yeah, no, you're right. So, and then for Villanova's perspective, I think it's fun because it's a weekend afternoon game at the pavilion. I mean, it it feels like those on-campus weekend afternoon games 
have not happened very often the I last couple of years. Say, I, yeah. I think a lot of that is that they can only play the three games at Wells Fargo this year. I'm not sure St. Joe's would be a Wells Fargo game, <laughs> uh, but just it, it's cool for the students. And I, I'm really happy that it, you get a Saturday noon home game. Oh, we're definitely going to get that raucous crowd on Saturday. Of course. Let's go. That's of fun. Course. I hope there's a good theme. I hope so too. <laughs> I don't my, know. The, the Providence, my brother's at the Providence game as we speak, and it was a flannel theme tonight. Wow. So you're saying they copied Villanova? They did. They, wow. That is exactly my point. Yes. Providence always trying to copy Villanova. <laughs> yep. My mother will not appreciate that, Pat. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's fun, though. I, I expect it to be kind of a grind. I actually really like Saint, playing St. Joe's. They, they always put up a pretty good fight. They've had some good players in the past who have graduated since, but I definitely expect Villanova to win this one handily, but maybe more of an offensive output from St. Joe's as opposed to Penn. Yeah, they shoot a lot. It's a, it's more fast paced under Lang. So definitely yep. a different game than what we've seen under LaSalle uh, and Penn so far. And as oh, again, rivalry game, going to be fun on campus, bunch of different factors in there. So should be a good Saturday. Yeah. Awesome. We have some excellent questions. We do. I am so excited to get through them. Do you want to do that before Big East or should we talk Big East first? Let's, let's go Big East just because I think Big East is super quick, being that okay. not, not too much has happened between Tuesday and where we're recording right now. Yeah, I don't have any notable ones except Marquette is 7-1, and one, and they have a massive Big 12 game coming up. Uh, I can't remember who it is off the top of my head right now. Wisconsin. Wisconsin on Saturday. I, that's a 12-30 game on Fox. I am so excited to watch that. It is so cool to watch. Shaka Smart coach the Marquette Golden Eagles. Like, do yourself a favor Mm -hmm. and just watch Shaka Smart on the bench because that guy has a vision and it is coming into fruition despite having such a young, inexperienced team. Yeah. So it's much less about what has happened so far over the basically day since we've recorded and more (laughs) looking forward here. I'm with you with Marquette. I think it's so fun to see just the transformation. We talked about it a little bit earlier about how crazy different this Marquette team is than the last iteration of the Wojo era with how they play defense and and trying to close out games. It is night and day. So I'm with you to look at that kind of reference it on Tuesdays, but Kansas St. John's Mm -hmm. uh, as well on Friday at UBS arena, which is very exciting for Islander fans like me uh, to open up that gorgeous new arena at Belmont on Long Island. Some really good ones too. Xavier, Oklahoma state over the weekend is another one. And I know there's one more coming up. I'm just blank. Oh yes. How could I forget about this as I go up on it? The ceiling of the big East. The Paul against Loyola Chicago for the Battle of Chicago is that should have been leading. That should have been I, what we led the podcast with. How dare we, honestly? <laughs> but four o'clock Saturday on FS1. That's gonna be a good game with this new look to Paul going up against Loyola Chicago. Obviously, things have changed at Loyola Chicago with Porter Moser going to Oklahoma, but um it, it's gonna be it's gonna be a really nice test for them. Yeah, I was going to say it's a new look Loyola Chicago team. Too. Mm-hmm. They've, they've got some some kinks to work through, too. Of course, they still have Sister Jean. I'm, I'm excited to watch that. It's cool. That I am, Paul too. We got an F1, FS1 game, too. And then that night, you have Iowa State Creighton, which should be another game. Some too. awesome games this weekend. Yeah. This is going to be fun. A lot of the Big East teams are, are knocking on the door in terms of receiving votes. And this is the Big 12 Big East battle. It's the perfect time to get some quality wins. Let's see if Villanova echoes that when they play Baylor in uh, two weeks. Oh More man, I hope quickly on the Kansas St. John's. I remember reading before non-conference play started, there was an ESPN, I believe it was an ESPN article going around and all the writers were asked 
which non-conference game they're most excited for. And there are a couple obvious answers, Duke, Gonzaga, Gonzaga, UCLA, Volnova, UCLA. And one writer wrote Kansas St. John's. And I remember reading that and wow, wow, I think that's one of the best answers because if St. John's plays up to its potential and the potential that we saw last year when they just, we've talked about it so many times, they're just the thorn in opposing team side because they're so pesky and they're so good on the boards and their tempo is so high. Imagine that against the, the stalwart that Bill Self and the Kansas Jayhawks are. I am so excited to watch that. Yeah, it, the Johnnies can be so um, uh, Jekyll and Hyde with what they yeah. come out there. It, That's what I mean. If they play up to their potential, otherwise it could get ugly. Yeah, because they've had two rough games against St. Francis and NJIT where, yes, they did win, but they didn't exactly look good. So yeah. we'll, we'll see what happens. We know they have the ability to turn up the pressure. It's a big game. Of course, Kansas coming in neutral site, even though it's on Long Island. Um, it's going to be fun. Yeah, I'm excited for that. Yeah, definitely. You ready big for week. some questions? Yes, let's do it. Awesome. You want to start with the basketball related one first? <laughs> yes, we probably should. We probably should. All that. right. This one's from Big Tasty, which I love the name. Uh, general opinions on the big five at this point. What value do these games provide for Nova? How do you feel about the big five? You can take that one first. Sure. Um, I mean, there's the history that goes with the big five, of course, uh, that I think you just you can't really ignore, especially with how ingrained it is in, in Jay Wright and how we really see him coach to it and, and everything like that. I think it's awesome that he brings the players around the palestra and shows mm-hmm. them around. The big five hasn't always been like this, where it is where Villanova has been so dominant. Nova has won it every year except 2018, going back to 2013, so you know, a pretty, pretty dominant stretch of course by Nova. These games are a little different right now, especially with all of the programs really trying to build and not even build, but find a foundation uh, other than Nova. I, I know that there's been some talk around what's the point of these. I, I firmly believe the big five should be there. I think it's very fun to be able to have them on the schedule every year. I would never want to see a rivalry like the one against St. Joe's go away. So I'm a supporter of the big five. I, I know people look at it a little differently, but I'm for it. No, I definitely think there is a strong reason to have these games on the schedule. And I was Joe, I was messing around about the Palestra before, but the amount of history in that building is undeniable. When you think about and, and Philadelphia and the history of Philly, mm-hmm. I think that's really cool. And I've been thinking a lot about the point you made about Dada and how this maybe is his farewell tour of sorts. If that's so the case, of course, that's unconfirmed. But yeah, we don't point. know yet. But I think that would mean a lot if he gets mm-hmm. some of his only minutes in this season during the Big Five. Of course, you want it to be in possession-by-possession possession games against UCLA or against a Seton Hall or a UConn, but these games are really meaningful, too, and I think it meant a lot to all these players for Jay Wright to walk them around the palestra and meet some of the older coaches and the history there. I agree with you. I definitely think, not that they're thinking about taking them off the schedule, but I think it's a nice piece of history. It's a nice competition. We all know how seriously Jay Wright takes it. And I don't think you can say that the players don't take it seriously. They all, they all really want to win. And especially Villanova being as good as it's been the past couple of years, they've got a target on their back. And that's when we see an up an upset like Penn from a couple of years ago, these teams want to go up against Villanova and, and mm-hmm. beat the big dog. And I like that. Yeah, I know, like we talked about that this isn't the most exciting weekend. It's not a shot at the big five. It's more of a a summary of where the teams are that Villanova's playing right now. It's not always going to be like this. It's just where we are in the power curve at the moment. You put it perfectly. 
almost all the schools in the big five had horrible COVID issues last year, mm-hmm. or they didn't have a season last year. So to then go less than 10 games into the season and play one of the best teams of the country, you have pretty low expectations for the level of competition. That doesn't mean it won't be there in the next couple of years, but you have to give the opposing team some time, not only to build the foundation, but find it like you mentioned. So I I think that's a good way to put it. Certainly. All right. We can go on to the next one then. And this is from our friends at the full 40. We love you guys, by the way, Emma, this is specifically for you. Actually the next two, are specifically for you. So look at our little superstar over here. Where is the cheesesteak slash hoagie from that is in Emma Houghton's profile picture? So I'll be honest. I had to ask Pat what this one meant. (laughs) So I appreciate the direction. In my Twitter profile picture, I am eating a hoagie and I am eating it at my favorite place in the entire world, which is Reading Terminal Market. Mm -hmm. I don't remember the name of the place. It was definitely a pork, a pulled pork sandwich. And I had side of mac and cheese, side of mac uh, and cheese, side of beans, some cornbread, a nice little milkshake from another place at Reading Terminal. But yeah, I, I did not take enough advantage of Reading Terminal. And when I say enough advantage, I mean like every single weekend. Of course. I got there a fair amount, but that is one of the best places ever. I just love walking up and down the aisles and sampling and seeing all the the different flavors and the, the types of bread and the pastas. They've just got everything there. Yeah, no, I uh, the, I have fun fun admission here. I've never been there, and it's a place that I've really wanted to go. Even though seriously, I spent, I spent four years at Villanova, and I never, oh my gosh, never I didn't know there. that. So we can talk about all the things I did wrong uh, at school. But wow. I'll, hi- I'll hijack this question and change it around a little bit for me. Where my favorite cheesesteak is from? Yeah, around here, uh, Delos Andros is great. So I probably have that as my as my one A or one B one a for me is pudges actually, which is not far from me here in King of Prussia. I believe it's in Bluebell. Uh, it is phenomenal. So highly recommend. Yeah. Uh, so I'll, I'll say myself here. I do not have too many Philly cheesesteaks. I have probably had less than five in my entire life. Wow. So, yeah. Look I'm at that. still, I'm still getting, getting used to that culture. It's just a lot of food. It's just a lot, which is why I like it. Yeah. The bread is really good. <laughs> the seeded bread. <laughs> You know, we're, we're both so going to get a lot steak. of tweets for the Reading Terminal <laughs> and the cheesesteaks. Now, I, I just want the bread on the cheesesteak. You can have done? the cheese and the steak. Yeah, I'm for that. OK, right. so this question, it, it was directed to me, but I, of course, would let you take this one. But I'm not sure you would have an answer here. I don't think I can help you here. But okay, <laughs> this is from Mike for Emma. Which Taylor Swift song describes this Villanova season so far? And for people that don't know, Emma is a massive, massive Taylor Swift fan. Thank you. So. I do feel like we've got some incredible questions so far. And every week I say that we've gotten our best question so far. I laughed out loud at this one when I saw it. Mike, this is by far the best question personally I've ever gotten. I absolutely love it. Thank you. And I I really did sit down and I took some notes on my phone. So I'm looking at my phone as as I did this because I wanted to give a very thoughtful answer. So the song that I think sums up Villanova season so far. I had a couple of options. I'll say those first. I thought about fearless for a second because I do think this team is fearless and that's more of an upbeat song. Drag me head first fearless, you know, but what I'm going to go with is death by a thousand cuts, which is on the lover album. So I think this is how Villanova plays. They might not light up the box score. They might not have anything fancy in their wins, 
but it's going after the loose balls. It's out physicaling all these teams they play. It's the hustle plays that slowly but surely wear down other teams. And I think that's one of Villanova's greatest strengths. But it is a sad song. And one of the lines is, because I can't pretend it's okay when it's not. There are some underlying problems on this Villanova team that we have talked about a lot. And we cannot sit here and not accept those problems and know that they, and wonder maybe if Nova can really go the distance. So I thought that was a pretty good mix of positives because we know what this team's ceiling can be, but there have of course been roadblocks so far. So that's why I chose death by a death by a thousand cuts. (laughs) Uh, That was deep. Uh, I I love, I love the analysis. I sadly can't give you any Taylor Swift analysis, but I can say happy Spotify wrapped day to everyone. Cause I know I was excited to see that. So yeah, Um, actually. So I was going to, I was going to bring my own question to the table and I'll, I'll I'll ask it now. Do you have your top five songs off the top of your head? I do not. Do you have your top one? Uh, I do actually. And it shocked me. It's from now on from Zach Brown band, which is actually a remake from the greatest showman. I could not believe that. What a redeemable quality of you right now. I oh know. my gosh. I, I can't believe you just embarrassed me in front of everyone on the on the podcast. But yes. Everyone the- go show Pat some love. He's feeling a little vulnerable about it. But Apparently. That's okay. <laughs> well, Zach Brown Band is great. Every- they were we my number two artists too. Yeah, Zach we Brown love Man. them. Love me some ZBB. But greatest showman, what a movie. Hugh, Hugh Jackman. Oh, well, that, wow, that's great. I would say uh, you, you just found out a, a little thing, a movie that I love, uh, and I wasn't expecting uh, to, to tell anyone that. Your greatest, your guilty pleasure movie that's, on the State I was, of the Nova Nation podcast? I was thinking oh, of the that. line, couldn't think of guilty pleasure, so thank you yeah. for saying that. Yeah, that's great. I'm, I'm so happy to hear that. We've been podcasting for over a year, and I never knew that about you, so I love it. Mine, I'm sure... Um, I guess I'm exposing myself a little bit here, but I'm sure you've heard me talk enough that you probably won't be too surprised. Number one was All Too Well by Taylor Swift. Number two was White Horse by Taylor Swift. I had Jordan (laughs) Davis, Almost Maybe. Yes, love Jordan Davis. Shout out Boomer and Geo. Love them. Number four, Good For You, Olivia Rodrigo, obviously. And then number five was Hole in the Bottle by Kelsey Ballerina. Oh, that's a great one. That is a wicked catchy song. So Uh, I I like that one too. And way too relatable. Wait, <laughs> beer or wine, whichever one you want to go with. Yeah, yeah, very true. <laughs> no, that's that's great. So happy Spotify rap day, everyone. And uh, I was not ready to be embarrassed, but we'll move on. Maybe I'll edit that part out. Um, no, definitely not. <laughs> and we've got one more. I saved it for last because it's it's the goat. He's the goat asking us. Eugene Repay came in with a question. Mm. Pagey Buckets from UConn signed a million dollar deal with Gatorade. If you could call up any company or brand, who are you signing with? You just said Pagey Buckets like it was the most casual thing in the entire world. Is that yeah, what people she is call at her? This point. I've seen it Pagey a couple Buckets? times. Pagey Buckets? I've heard it. You go first. I, I didn't even have to think twice about this. It's Wawa, without a doubt. Just, oh. just, just sign me up. Put that W wherever you want. And, <sighs> uh, you know, all the all the hoagies I want. I, of course, there's yeah. so many different drink options. I love their buffalo chicken sandwich. And on top of it, you're going to tell me I can fill up for gas from a sponsor, too, in today's mm. economy? Oh, sign me up. So <laughs> wah wah it is. You don't want to be paying the 370 for gas anymore. No, I've, I've had enough. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Yeah, this was a really, really good question. First of all, what an Im- absolutely amazing accomplishment for Paige to yeah, be signed awesome. by Gatorade. Oh my God. Bryce Harper is signed. It's just Steph Curry. That's so cool. Um, 
I couldn't, I, I really expected to have a creative answer for this, but I couldn't think of anything that would be cooler than Nike. Yeah. If I was signed by Nike, I would feel like I made it. I so I'm going to go with that. Just do it. Just do it. Yeah. You got the swoosh. I actually I like asked it. for a, uh, a pair of Air Force Ones for Christmas and I got a blue swoosh on them. I customized them myself. Ooh, so nice. I'm excited for that. Yeah. That's pretty sweet. Yeah. So I like it. So some cool questions. Thank you Good to question. everyone. Yeah. For sending yeah, them in. Thank you. Be sure to keep sending them in and let us know what your guys' answers were too. Yeah. And help us get to 50 reviews. We're one away. One away. Thank you so much. Yes, please. And before we go out here, quick shout outs as well for Villanova women's basketball, who also came away with the win tonight as we record this. So of course, great to see the women win. And as well, we know there is a football playoff game oh, yeah. on Friday night for Villanova. Hope anyone that can, can go out to support. Otherwise it will be on ESPN plus though. I wouldn't blame you if you can't stomach any more ESPN plus <laughs> after listening to the Villanova pen game, but all right, that'll do it for us here on the state of the Nova nation presented by VU hoops. There are some cool articles up on VU hoops. We have a game recap up. Of course, there will be more uh, as we get closer to the St. Joe's game as well to almost round out our big five. Cause of course, temple is thrown in there at the end of December. But be sure to subscribe to the show. Leave a rating. Help us get to 50 and follow us on Twitter at S-O-N-N pod. Go Cats and Nova Nation. That's a wrap.